Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? I'm Jason Carty. I'm Stephen Cockroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin in front of an audience. (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) And uh, we are here. (laughs) They weren't asked to do that. We are here as part of the Dublin Beatles Festival, which is an annual celebration here in the capital of all things, FAB. Uh, The inaugural festival was in 2013 to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Beatles' sole Dublin concert at the Adelphi Theatre on the 7th of November 1963. And the site of the Adelphi is a short stroll from where we are today in Bridie's Bar in Marlborough Street in Dublin. Uh, But obviously don't look for the Adelphi, it's not there anymore. Although your car is parked there today. It is. It it is, is. which is quite useful. And we want to thank Steve Kennedy for, as usual, putting together a fantastic festival and for asking us along to do this uh, fantastic thing. Now, the plan today is that myself and Stephen are doing what's known as a reverse Beatles uh, because we've done our in-studio experiments and now we're going to do live shows and leave the studio behind. And we're in front of a crowd of maybe two or three thousand people, I think, Stephen. That's what it looks like to me. And we're going to answer the pertinent question of our time, who is better, uh, Paul McCartney or George Harrison? Now, uh, assuming you're familiar with the Nothing Is Real canon, it'll come as no surprise that I'm standing for Paul McCartney and standing for George Harrison is... Stephen. Stephen, yes. And we've tried to figure out the best way of doing this, and we're going to try and address Paul versus George under six different headings, and we're going to throw some ideas and opinions back and forth. And at the end, we'll see how this all works out. If you feel the need to voice your opinion through cheers or boos, uh, feel free to do so, and we'll do a quick voice poll maybe as we go along during the topics to see how people, uh, how people feel about each individual uh, heading. Um, so try and leave your personal preferences at the door and listen to the nuanced, intricate arguments of myself and Stephen. And uh, I'm going to put in a personal disclaimer here, which is that if I say anything today personally, me, Jason, as that seems very anti-George or seems very mean, I'm just being, you know, the pantomime villain, the wrestling heel. I obviously love George very much and I love the Beatles very much. Uh, Do you want to say anything nice about Paul before we start? No. Right, fine. So, uh, and, and one final thing, please, no wagering. Okay, let's get started. We've got our comedy bell for round one. And we're going to talk about, first of all, Paul and George as Beatles within the Beatles themselves. Because uh, I'm going to start by saying I think that Paul is the Beatliest Beatle who ever Beatled, and he's still a Beatle today. He still thinks he's a Beatle. I think that's trouble. Oh, okay. Why is that the trouble? Um, I think my, my, my issue with Paul is uh, he's never stopped being a Beatle. 
Um, and I think as the years go by, he thinks he is the Beatles and he was the Beatles. And, uh, you know, I, I have no issue with Paul as a songwriter. I think he's a great songwriter. I think he's a, a, a great uh, musician. Um, but there are elements of his character where, uh, you know, he's he's since John Lennon died in particular, uh, since George Harrison died, uh, he's consistently tried to rewrite the authorized history of the band uh, to, to emphasize his role, obviously very important role, but he's sidelining other members of the band. Mm. Uh, so suddenly he's the avant-garde one. Uh, he's the curator. He's putting, dyeing his hair and putting on his Shea Stadium <laughs> jacket. Uh, and he's just becoming... The Beatles. And one of the things, and partly, you know, because he has such a natural gift, musical gift, musical flair, there isn't the development in his uh, career, in his songwriting, in his musicianship that perhaps you get from George or John or, you know, arguably even Ringo. He, he. Well, mm, yes. Well, hold on a second now. Uh, Sorry, have I, do I have to ring, ring a bell? <laughs> that's or? the end of it. Well, thank you. Not, not thank quite you. yet. Um, but then, do you think the opposite is true? That George, I mean, my problem with George is that George always strikes me as the only Beatle who doesn't like the Beatles. And uh, as the Beatles goes on, you know, he's, he's, he, he's, he sort of sets himself up in opposition to the Beatles. And after the Beatles, and particularly after, you know, you talk about Paul taking over one mantle when John died. I think when John died, George took over this mantle where he says, oh, I'm going to be the, the bullshit detector and I'm going to be the guy who's, you know, sticks it to the Beatles as, a, as an entity. And I don't think John would have done that if he'd lived. And I, I kind of get this thing that, you know, it kind of suits him to rub up against the Beatles. No, I, I, for, for me, I, I, th I think the, the, the progression for George is he was absolutely 100% committed to the band. So in the early days, uh, you know, the sequence, John brings in Paul, Paul brings in George, George pushes for Ringo. George is absolutely 100% committed to the band. Um, where I think uh, the, the, the luster starts to fade slightly for George is once they start uh, the, the, the world tours, after that first world tour, and he suddenly realizes... You're playing to screaming crowds. They can't hear you. They're not getting any better as musicians. And that's something that you, you hear in those interviews in 65 and 66 from George is we're not getting any better. We're, we're just doing the same thing. We're just trotting this out. And he's instrumental in the, the calling a halt uh, to touring. So I think in one sense, I think Paul would probably have been quite happy just being in the Beatles and touring and mm -hmm. being in the Beatles and touring a little bit more and releasing records. and But everyone else is growing out of the Beatles or certainly out of what the public perception of the band was at that stage. You know, they're, they're all not in little jackets and, and the touring and that's great. But, but time goes on. Paul, I think, would be quite happy to have, have preserved that sort of in aspect for all time. You well, know, you can I, argue I, he's doing a version and, of it And today. arguably that's what he's, he's I think that's my argument. <laughs> but if you, there's, I'm just thinking there's this, I think it's a Douglas Adams analogy where Puddles, you know, the Puddle thinks he's perfect for the world because he fits into it. And Paul might think he's perfect for the world. I um, think of him because, as a Puddle. <laughs> uh, Paul thinks he's perfect for the Beatles because he, he seemed to enjoy all of that, which is yeah. kind of what you're saying. So then, but then doesn't George, you could argue that kind of from summer 67 to summer 68, 
there's a, a, a very much a George tilt into how the Beatles progress. Yeah. And, and he sort of takes over, not necessarily the leadership of the band, but a sort of, you know, th- particularly through the mysticism. Yeah, I, th- stuff, I, right? I, I think come, come 66, 67, there's, there's, there's something very strange happens within the band. So suddenly George is setting an agenda or setting a tone. Um, uh, that's because there's the Indian music influence and that's getting creeping into... Uh, the Beatles music, he's off doing a soundtrack. And then also you've got meditation and the Maharishi and he, the others are kind of suddenly taking a, a bit of a lead from mm-hmm. him. And this, this corresponds with Lennon taking a lot of acid. So he's, he's no longer functioning uh, perhaps in that role. And suddenly George finds himself where he has genuine influence over the sound of the band um, and uh, the direction they're going in. And one of the, Telling things, I think, is if, if you think what happened slightly later uh, in the band where arguably Paul assumes that role, uh, late 68, 69, yeah. what does Paul do with that when he's in that role? Uh, he starts great. telling He starts <laughs> telling everybody what to do. He starts arranging the songs. He starts, oh, you play this and you play that. What does George do? George, Shut down. He, he's, his 67 is not full of George songs or him saying, you must do this or you must do that. Mm. He's, he's taking them in a direction, uh, you know, it's a pretentious thing to say, but sort of philosophically he's moving them in a particular direction. Um, I think if the band hadn't followed him in that direction, I don't think he'd have been too concerned. But he, he, he comes up with... Um, Within You Without You, which is a completely standalone track. And for my money, I would say this, uh, <laughs> this, this is the single most impressive achievement from that year of 67. You've got All You Need Is Love. You've got A Day in the Life. You've got Lovely Rita. Yeah. You've got Lovely Rita. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but this is, uh, the, Within You Without You is arguably the, the, the most spectacular thing that, that happens up to this point. Um, we'll come on to this maybe when we're talking about, about songwriting. Well, but when George kind of has that uh, sort of, let's call it a spiritual stewardship of the band. I like your isn't thinking. That? Fair enough. I don't know, does he, um, does he enjoy that or does he realise that he's doing that or does he think, well, you know. I, I think so. I think so because uh, I think he is very conscious of it. Okay. Because if you look at... You know, after the sort of disillusionment in, in Rishikesh in 1968, he comes up with the song Not Guilty, uh, which contains the line, you know, don't blame me, you know, for leading you astray and the road to Mandalay. This is clearly, we talked about this on a previous episode about songs where the Beatles wrote songs about each other. I think this is him very explicitly saying, you know, I only want what I can get. Uh, I don't want to upset the apple cart. Don't blame me for for this, you know. Uh, so that that song is all about that. Uh, so then, experience. what about George as a Beatle after nineteen seventy? Because he's, you know, he he tends to use the leverage of being a Beatle to enjoy his life. You could say, but he he tends to does he not kind of knock it down a bit or be a bit? Uh, well, I don't know. He's got, I mean, post post nineteen seventy, you know, he's he's enjoying the money. He's got a big house. He's got mm-hmm. fast cars. He's got the trappings of of, of a rock star, but. The, the one thing I would say musically is 1970, post the split, the one who steps furthest away from the Beatles is mm. George mm. in terms of the sound of All Things Must Pass. It, you know, if you look at uh, the first McCartney album, even Ram, yeah. let's gloss over 
wildlife. wildlife but if you look good. at yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to. If you if you look at the McCartney, listen to the McCartney album, uh, listen to Ram, listen to uh, you know Plastic Ono Band gets this has this reputation as this incredibly raw uh, um, uh, sounding album, but it's got you know uh, God, it's got love, mm. it's it's got little uh, you know hold on, it's got little little songs. It's still quite quite Beatley yeah. sound. All things must pass. Doesn't sound like anything the Beatles ever recorded. Nothing. Yeah. Um, and arguably, uh, you know, people have been in in the last month or two making the case that, uh, you know, uh, Abbey Road is the first uh, rock album of the 1970s and this sets the template. Mm. I, I, I think it's the last album of the 60s. The first album that, that, that sets the template is is All Things Must Pass. And he he absolutely is stepping away. He's not trading on the Beatles sound. You know, My Sweet Lord. Okay. Well, you we'll, know. we'll come back to the solo careers in a second. But as a Beatle, though, like in the 90s for, say, the anthology. Yeah. Do you think he was as happy about the anthology as Paul? Was anybody happy about the anthology at all? No, I don't mm. think. I mean, I don't think. He's, <laughs> I, I, I don't think. I don't think George would have participate i don't think we would have anthology yeah if he hadn't suffered uh financial problems with his business manager every cloud eh? every cloud nine all right so uh okay so so, so as a beetle though so to, in closing the beatliest beetle who ever beetled. <laughs> uh yeah you know, I, I i have no argument with your statement that uh, paul is the beatliest beetle who ever beetled. i wrote that down yeah <laughs> Um, uh, I have no, but yeah, but I, my, my argument is I don't think that's a good thing. Okay. Uh, I, I think George and the others in particular, they, they enjoyed being Beatles up to a point and then it became a straitjacket mm. and, uh, they all sort of went off in, in different directions, uh, including Paul, yeah. you know, pretended to write a soundtrack album, <laughs> that type of thing. Um, but <laughs> the then, then, uh, Paul just wanted to get back into the straitjacket. He's yeah. the only person in the world ever that wanted to get back into the straitjacket. The others took what they had. They used it. You know, George used it to, to launch a solo career. John did that. They yeah. used it to do good things. They, they, uh, they made use of it. Coming back to anthology, um, I don't think George would have done it. I, don't, I, I think Cloud9 shows him maybe coming to terms with, with having been a Beatle and what mm. it meant. Um, but no, you, you can, anthology is a compromise. Everyone is doing it for their own reasons. I think Paul, in order to be a Beatle once again, yeah. you know, he's desperate to write songs with George at that point to get back. Uh, well, George to, famously said, was it George said, it's funny how Paul wants to write songs with me now. What was the yeah, that? that yeah. yeah. So, so, so he, he, Paul wants to be a Beatle again. Yeah. George, I think is doing it for the money. Let's, let's be honest. Yep. Ringo just wants everybody to be friends. Good yeah. Ringo. Um, <laughs> Better than Paul and George. Yeah. Ringo, possibly. yeah, that's yeah. next year's debate. <laughs> um, okay, so maybe uh, a quick yay or nay from the crowd. All those in favour of the best Beatle as a Beatle. All those in favour of George, say George. All those in favour of Paul, say Paul. Oh. I think the Paul's <sighs> on that one. Round one to Paul. Uh, 
round two. <laughs> I'm leaving at this point. I can see, well, I can see where this is going. Uh, yeah, I know. Throwing it to the mob. Wrong, round two, we're going to put down as songwriting. Yeah. yeah. I've okay. read your introduction here. My introduction here. Uh, <clears throat> Not a hint of hyperbole. Scientists believe that they've dated the birth of the universe to 13.8 billion years ago. And the first humans appeared between five to seven million years ago. Through all of that time, one man is by any metric imaginable the most successful songwriter of all time. Paul McCartney. Whether it's records sold, radio plays, cover versions, or money earned, Maka is the greatest songwriter in the known observable universe. Stephen? <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that. I, can't, I, I, I absolutely can't argue with that. I think if you're, if you're going to go by uh, chart uh, success, if you're going to yeah. go by money accumulated, yes. uh, <laughs> then I, I, I think Paul, definitely the winner. Okay. You're not going to give up like that, are do you? you? Wanna, do you want to ring the bell? No, I, don't, I, don't, I want to, you know. Okay. Uh, uh, there so are other arguments. Uh, there's nothing in your uh, uh, elaborately scripted uh, <laughs> introduction that I can argue with. But in, in, in terms of songwriting, I think, is within the Beatles, is fascinating. Yes. Some, someone, someone should write a book uh, they about should, songwriting. About the Beatles. About the Beatles. Someone should write a book about the Beatles. I think so. Yeah. Songwriting, uh, if you go right back to the, the early days of the band, I mean, I mean, Quarryman days, um, the, the, the split between the three vocalists is pretty much even. So you look at the Decca tape, you look at the BBC tapes, John Paul George, they're all, all getting pretty much equal mic time. Um, there are two songs from the early days of the Beatles, In Spite of All the Danger, mm -hmm. which is a McCartney-Harrison credit, and Cry for a Shadow, which is a Lennon-Harrison credit. So, so far, so good. What, <laughs> what happens... It was going so well. It was going so well. Yeah. What happens just before uh, they go into the studio um, for their, their, their parlophone audition, if it is an audition, um, is Paul gets in... John in a room on his own and says this songwriting thing should we cut George in should we should we have a three-way split on, on on the songwriting and uh they decide no what we're going to do is we're just going to carve up the songwriting so regardless of who contributes what they agree it's going to be McCartney Lennon Lennon McCartney mm. and that's regardless of whether John contributes to a Paul song Paul contributes to a John song or whether George contributes anything to, to either. Mm. And I think if you go right back and follow that through, that's the little seed that starts to drive the wedge, that, that as they become successful, as the songwriting royalties start coming in, and it's, it's apparent that, that, that John and Paul are getting rich, uh, that's the tiny seed. And it all starts there, where Paul takes John to one side and says, you and me, let's carve yeah. this up. Why did he do that? Money. Do you think? Money. Yeah. I think at this point, they suddenly realize that there's money. That, that, that Paul makes some reference to the, you know, at this point, we just, prior to this point, we thought songs were just in the air. They mm. were just, they, you know, they didn't exist. You couldn't see them. You couldn't touch them. How did you make money out of this? But by this stage, Epstein is, is, is explaining to them. This is how it works. Ardmore and Beachmore, the uh, Beachwood, the uh, uh, publishing company, are saying yes. These are the songs, and we can make money. And mm. they suddenly realise this is, and 
for Paul back then and ever since it's about the money. But you could argue that there was. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting the big yeah, laughs. I'm getting the laughs. Way booth. Yeah. But you could argue that even before they get into Abbey Road in 62, you know, there is form of Paul and John writing together yeah. nose to nose face to face, which yes. hadn't really happened with George. I know he has those credits, but they're almost credits uh, from part of them are kind of almost like arranging credits. You could say that they're he's well, we, so, we, we've talked about this before about how bands decide what writing is and isn't, you know, yeah. and it's it's interesting that in the kind of the wave after the Beatles, you have bands like U2 and R.E.M. who decide you know, we are not going to argue. It's going to be all of us on the writing credits. And Peter Buck famously in REMs, you know, said day one, that's what they were going yeah. to do. And you could argue that that leads to a different kind of creativity and a different kind of longevity. Um, whereas Lennon McCartney decided that 50% of the band would be tied up in, in, in writing. And I suppose it's, you know, does writing a guitar part mean you've written a song? And some bands say yes and some bands say no. Well, I mean, certainly that was Paul's take on In Spite of All the Danger. George came up with the guitar part. So Paul thinks, right, well, he he did something here. I'll, I'll give him a credit. But it's yeah. it's it's uh, a, it, it's the fact that it's an ext- it's a conscious decision. We're going to carve up the songwriting between the two of us. So certainly, um, uh, you know, in the early days where they're sitting in Paul's house and they're they've got a notebook and they're writing down some chords and they're writing down some lyrics. That's a, that's a kind of joint uh, uh, process. But it becomes a much more sophisticated thing once they start recording. So I had I'd, uh, I have twenty four examples. I'm just going <laughs> to run through. I have I have three examples. So, um, and I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, f- that the, the the guitar part, the hook. Yeah, the four that, notes. That is George's uh, uh, arrangement. So they, if you listen to anthology, they they have a, a, a recorded an early version of that, an electric version. Which is kind of a bit ho hum, mm-hmm. and uh, but it's George that says what you need is a guitar part, a little riff to hang that this on. He produces that kind of Spanish guitar, and, and he produces that in in the Material World documentary. This is, Paul is saying. I mean, he actually says, you know, George really, I suppose, deserves a credit for that. Mm. Doesn't actually go back and posthumously give him a credit, no. uh, but but he acknowledges this is this is a, a something. Um, <laughs> Eleanor, Eleanor Rigby, yeah. Uh, George comes up with the all the lonely people. Mm. Uh, look at all the lonely people. That's that's George contributes to that. John doesn't contribute anything to the writing of that song. Yeah, uh, but he gets a fifty percent credit. George gets nothing. Um, but the most sort of egregious example of this is actually from from John, uh, and it's uh, she said she said, um, which is the last song they record for Revolver. Um, it's a song where Lennon acknowledges that George contributed to that. McCartney doesn't contribute anything. George, uh, I quote here, and he said, you know, I was at Lennon's John's house. He was struggling with a couple of tunes. He had loads of little bits and pieces, maybe three songs that were unfinished. We we worked together. Uh, I helped him so that they became one finished song. Hmm. When they came to record that, Paul has a massive argument, storms out of the studio the argument being about the arrangement of the song because it's not being done the way paul wants it to be done even though he doesn't contribute um so it's recorded by the remaining three and if you look at the credits it's it's george playing the guitar parts it's george playing the bass so he writes the 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 song with john and he records it and i think um 
I read somewhere, and I'm not sure where, I think it's maybe Steve Turner's book in 1966, that George actually felt that he was going to get a writing credit, that this was going to be a Harrison-Lennon mm -hmm. credit. Um, and then that, that never happened. And that, that, that was a big turning point, a sort of disillusioning moment for him. Um, and it sort of coincides, uh, you're coming up to the end of 66, it coincides almost directly with the point where he's looking at Indian music, he's putting his guitar down, he doesn't really contribute much guitar to pepper. Well, in terms of evolution, from Don't Bother Me to Within You Without You is quite yeah. a change. Yes. I mean, I think, well, again, if, if you want to talk about, uh, as I, I, I absolutely quite happy to, to, to say, you know, Paul's facility and his, his musical gift is, is staggering. But it, it, to the point where I think he, he kind of feels he doesn't need to work on that. Mm. He doesn't need to. So he, he's capable of writing P.S. I Love You. I think if you probably pushed him in 63 or 64, he could probably have written Lovely Rita in 64 if he, mm -hmm. if he <laughs> thought about it. But he, th there's a sort of, with that facility, with that natural gift, there comes a, a, a sort of arrogance or a complacency mm -hmm. where he's not really interested in, you know, he doesn't want to learn how to read music. He doesn't, where George is continually moving on from those sort of rockabilly, very sort of faltering, working out guitar parts. Uh, then he's moving through from Don't Bother Me. And listen in the Sgt. Pepper box set, he's sitting down working with Indian classical mm -hmm. musicians. He's writing uh, lyrics based on Indian texts. It, in four years, that's a staggering program. And, and that continues. And I think Ringo's drumming uh, gets better. He's progressing. Yeah. Lennon is progressing, particularly in terms of, of, of lyrics and uh, bringing his, his uh, you know, in his own right, Spaniard in the works, his poems in. Paul, you know, he's just, he's, yeah, I have, I, have, I have this gift. Yeah. I don't need to. He's to, so reliable, to... isn't he? That's what I think yeah. is great about him. Uh, but like it's I'm, true. Well, you talk about Ringo there, but I mean, you, you think about, okay, you say the four notes of uh, And I Love Her should have been a, a George composition, but you can say, well, Ringo... I'm not saying that. Paul is saying <laughs> Paul, that. <laughs> but Ringo, you could say he wrote the drum fills on A Day in the Life, and they're very distinctive. You know, there are drum patterns that you could say tomorrow never knows. Should he have gotten a writing credit for that well, drum pattern? That's uh, Maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. There's the famous, I'm just remembering the famous story of Sting wrote the song Every Breath You Take. Yeah. Andy Summers did the guitar yeah. lick, but yeah. it's a Sting credit. And when it was sampled for that um, uh, Puff Daddy song, Help Me Out, someone, what's it called? No, I'll be watching you. Well done. <laughs> Swap we, have, prize. We, have, we have a young person in there. <laughs> um, Sting got the writing credit and eventually, uh, uh, sorry, Stuart Copeland. Um, who, who was it? Summers, sorry, Andy Summers. Andy Summers negotiated a, a, a royalty it eventually because his guitar I, was used. I, but it just depends on the setup of the band. It does. And I, but, and I think it's very interesting to speculate what the consequences would have been if back in the day, sixty-two, they, they had, hadn't uh, they hadn't decided between them that were, they were going to carve this up between themselves. If they had said, "Well, you, you know, we, we'll just write the songs, and whoever contributes, we'll get a yeah." Because Lennon and McCartney, I know they they eventually would say, "Well, I wrote a bit of that one, I wrote a bit of that one," but I I don't really recall either of them ever saying, "God damn it, I hated hitching my wagon to no. that other guy." Like they never said that about each other, no. they, and they're still very true to the Lennon and McCarthy ethos. Well, the McCartney Lennon ethos. Well, Paul yes. has his way. <laughs> Um, okay, so so in terms of songwriting, and uh, it's interesting, uh, one of the things with the recent Abbey Road reissue is this notion of, oh, hasn't George done well? 
which I really dislike about. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, if we're gonna get, if we're gonna, people have the box set and have have read the uh, the, the the forward where Paul does it. Yes, very yes. lovely uh, introduction. And then he said, "Oh, George, he 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 really peaked with Abbey Road." <laughs> so so he's both dismissing everything that went before as being somehow less than the two songs George gets, yeah. and and also everything that came after. Sometimes good. I do wonder, does Paul know that he's doing that? And he's like I, rubbing and, his hands and, a little bit. And then he goes on to say, you know, those two songs, they're Harrison classics. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not classics. They're, Har- they're, they're classics Harrison, Harrison. They're Harrison by, by, by George's standards. They're, they're classic Harrison. George. And it's this, even to this day, this passive aggressive. And you say, does Paul know he's, do you think that every single word was not <laughs> as scrupulously poured over as your script here today? You know, interesting pop fact. If you listen closely to something, you can hear Paul play the bass. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you might even even that. even more so on the uh, recent yes. remix. <laughs> it's much louder. Which Paul oversaw. So in <laughs> uh, so in terms of songwriting, ring the, the ring what, the bell now. Ring the all bell those now. in favor of George say George. George. All those in favor of Paul say Paul. Paul. Really? Okay, George. <laughs> all right, one each. Oh my God! Right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Now it's a fight. Now we're, now now we're. we're getting somewhere. Round three, uh, musicianship. <sighs> so who was the best musician? I'm going to play to the gallery here and say, uh, was George the best guitarist in the world? He wasn't even the best guitarist in the Beatles. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, You've lost the room. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, yeah, musicianship, surely. Isn't Paul great? He can play anything. He's, he can, he can, yeah, you know, he can, to a certain degree. He can pick out a he can pick out a tune on almost anything. Well, on the recent Wildlife reissue, we got Paul playing the trumpet as a hidden bonus track. Did anyone manage to make it to the end of the Wildlife third disc? <laughs> no, no. Okay, fine. no one. Yeah. No, I, I, I you know, we're, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but why not? Uh, Paul does have that musical gift. He does mm. have that facility. My problem with Paul is he takes that gift for granted. Mm. And at best, he becomes complacent. At worst, he becomes arrogant. So, um, an example. The (laughs) Abbey Road box set, the Sessions disc, there is a very good outtake of Oh Darling. Uh, You know, great song by Paul. And it's one of those rare examples late in the Beatles career that is a real group ensemble performance so that there's the four guys in the studio and they're playing this song and if you listen to the outtake it's great yeah so they go on to record it and then having recorded it paul comes in the next day wipes george's guitar part and puts his own guitar part on it but Mm. if you listen to the outtake it's pretty much identical yeah so he doesn't add anything to the uh, uh, the part, and the group performance is fine, but Paul just got to do that. So he and he's doing that as early as is it? Uh, you can't do that. Was the song on Help, where he comes oh, in? Man. It's another girl. girl. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we have a fact checker in the audience. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he 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 comes in and he wipes George's uh, guitar part. Right. I, I, you know, this is this is this is the controlling factor. So there's this arrogance. Hmm. Uh, oh, darling is a great example of that. Brilliant group performance. Paul is the one at this stage that you know he's desperately trying to preserve 
the band. Mm. Uh, you know, he's floating this idea, you know, we could actually get back in the clubs and we could, we could do some live shows. And then as soon as they have a group performance, he comes in and completely undermines that. Yeah. And that's something that is consistent, you know, whether it's Henry McCulloch in, in, in Wings, whether it's Eric Stewart with, uh, 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 Press, a lost classic. Um, <laughs> There's a podcast. There is a podcast. Yeah. Uh, that's the podcast that I'll be arguing in favor of uh, Paul. Paul, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, so it, it's 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 the arrogance that comes with that facility. Plus, he never feels the need to to really work on his gift on his musicianship. Yeah, and I know, I know you've said this to me before that uh, you constantly. know, yeah, constantly ringing me up <laughs> middle of the night. Um, the uh, there's something very uh, I, I found myself uh, about a week or two ago watching the Ed Sullivan shows, and when Paul does his or when George does his solo on uh, "Till There Was You," um, which is obviously something he has meticulously yes. worked on, yeah, and it's utterly charming, note perfect. You know, the the little finger action is just yep. hypnotic. Uh, if you if you're if you're a guitar player, that he he yes, you can kind of see how he sat down and worked on his craft. instrument and his craft, craft and his, yeah. his his tone. His tone yeah. changes yes. throughout the career. And he's he, the the one thing I think George doesn't get enough credit for is 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 what he gives to the songs, the other people's songs, to, yeah. to Paul's songs, George. So Revolver, for example, this George that is that great is, guitar solo on Taxman. Well, Bye. yeah, yeah. Paul McCartney. Well, well I, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So, <laughs> okay. so what, what you've got in Revolver, there, there's the backwards guitar part. So yeah. if you even, if you read uh, Jeff Emmerich's book, and Jeff Emmerich is <laughs> no fan of, of George Harrison, um, he, he talks about George comes in, he, he spends hours on his own painstakingly working out what these guitar parts should be backwards hmm. uh works with george martin and uh, you know a lot of the, the the credit for the sound of that um uh, uh, is is down to george the taxman guitar part uh, absolutely fantastic guitar part played by paul george has absolutely no problem <laughs> across his career collaborating with other people if there is someone that can play the part better mm -hmm. or someone whom he thinks is appropriate whether that's I'll get Eric Clapton in uh, to, to play because, you know, that's, that's something I, I won't be able to do. He's quite happy to defer to other musicians. He's quite happy to work with other musicians. Um, 1969, he goes on the road with Delaney and Bonnie. He's standing at the back. Mm. Uh, Delaney says, uh, you know, Dave Mason can't do the next few shows. Do you think you could learn how to play slide guitar? Yeah, I, I can do that. Very unassuming. Yeah. And that has ramifications. And that has ramifications. So, so in terms of musicianship, hmm. so Paul, uh, uh, George at this point uh, is constantly honing his craft. He does not have the same inherent musical uh, uh, flair, gift hmm. uh, that Paul has. But I don't think uh, there are very few people that do. I mean, certainly not John, not Ringo, not George. But he is constantly working. So you think... In 66, he basically, late 66, he virtually puts down the guitar and goes off and, and sits at Ravi Shankar's feet and is genuinely thinking, I could learn, I could, I could be this fantastic sitar player. And, and when he realizes that that's not going to happen, that you have to study for decades, then he, he sort of comes back to the, mm. to the guitar. But he's constantly uh, improving. And then you've got the slide guitar part. 
uh, that, that no one, it's almost inventing an entirely new way of playing slide guitar. It's not a right Cooter style. It's not a blues style. Um, if, if you listen, there was a BBC radio documentary after he died and, and Gary Moore, with whom he was very friendly, was trying to demonstrate how you would play this. And he said, it's impossible. There's no one can can play this. Even even Belinda Carlisle recognized that he was uh, unique. <laughs> that is a fantastic solo on Belinda yeah. Carlisle's Leave a Light On yeah. by George. That is a super thing. So any excuse to listen to Belinda Carlisle. Um, maybe though we're being a bit unfair to Paul because we're kind of saying, hey, Paul, ah, I don't Paul the so. multi-instrumentalist and isn't George a great guitarist? Let's just focus on Paul's as a bass player versus George as a guitarist. So, you know, if we take it instrument to instrument. Yeah, look at these apples and look at these oranges. <laughs> Surely we're undermining the whole <laughs> point of this podcast if we're, if we're, if we're getting to that point. But, uh, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I think George... Ring the bell. Ring you the can, bell. You can track his uh, evolution as a guitarist and, you know, the stuff on Abbey Road just sounds fantastic and meticulous. But Paul does have an evolution as a, as a bass player as well. I think you're right. I don't think he evolves as a piano player in the last 50 years or, or as a drummer in the last 50 years. But there certainly was a good 10 years. I'd say his bass evolution even went into... The Wings period, when he kind of get, breaks out the Rickenbacker in the mid-70s, he's still doing fantastic stuff on his bass. Um, would you think they are equal as uh, no, instrumentalists on their key instrument? I, I think, I th I, what, what surprised me, very pleasantly surprised me, when the 2009 remasters came out, and I was listening to Please Please Me, which is an album that every time I go back to it, I forget how good that record yeah. is. There's a great um, podcast on it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the 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 bass playing is superb mm. on that. I mean, just amazing. Yeah. Again, very very up in the new mix, uh, but, <laughs> Funny but, but but it's He's great. I mean, it elbowing is, the haters. <laughs> it's 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 fantastic. So his bass playing was always great, and I think that comes from being, if not forced, but sort of encouraged as a guitar player to move, put the guitar down, and pick up the bass. Uh, you know, because George at that point said, "Well, I'm not doing it." Yeah. So he he became the bass player by default, but he's he's. Uh... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot; we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A melodic guitar player, and he brings that facility to the bass. Yeah. And it was a new way of playing uh, the bass, I suppose, at that time. You, you don't have that. This is one of the criticisms that, uh, that, that George Martin has on the very first session is that Paul and Ringo aren't locking in mm. the way a traditional bass and drum setup would would be and it took him sort of a session to to realize oh this is this is a different different, they're, they're a different approach paul is really approaching it from a melodic perspective and, and i think that's fine I, I i i don't think 
he values his own talent in one sense because mm. he doesn't work at it. He, he has this odd thing, uh, this fear of like, particularly Paul's fear of not wanting to learn how to read music. Yeah. Which I remember kind of in the late 80s when he was doing his Elvis Costello collaborations. It's at that point that Costello did go off to learn how to read music yeah. and to score and to sight read and all that kind of stuff. And that sent him off on a different trajectory, whereas Paul is almost afraid sometimes to... Yeah, if you don't don't lift the curtain, don't, don't spoil, the, the, yeah, this, don't spoil yeah. the magic. I, I, but I, I think the flip side of that is sometimes you, you get from Paul, well, I'm Paul McCartney, I have this gift, mm. this'll do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... So having said, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't value his talent in the sense that he doesn't feel the need to work on it or to curate this talent. And I mean, I, I would also say as a vocalist, yeah, superb vocalist, mm. but he, he doesn't take care of his voice. He doesn't look after his voice. Uh, you know, the, the, the trope is he, he does two, two and a half hour shows and prides himself on not taking a sip of water. Yeah. Well, I perhaps... Look at me. Yeah. Well, per yeah. perhaps if he took a sip of water, he could still hit those notes for maybe I'm amazed, you know, he could, but he, he, he has a, he has a, a sort of a disregard yeah. and, 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 and that's the flip side, I think, yeah, is I this. I think it's part of him protecting himself at the same time as well. Uh, George, actually, I'm just noting, George also is a good bass player. The Abbey Road box set, even yes. though George doesn't remember playing bass on Abbey Road. Yeah. His, his bass playing is on Abbey Road. Okay, well, look, in terms of musicianship then, <clears throat> all those in favour of George say George. Oh. Oh, hold on. All those, okay, so we're going to put it to the crowd. All <laughs> musicianship. Uh, hello, wake up. Uh, all those in favour of George say George. All those in favor of Paul say Paul. Oh. oh my gosh, I thought George was going to get that one. So that's uh, one in the round for Paul. I've got, I've got to get this bell back to ask the family or call yep. my bluff. Call my bluff. Yes. Ah. Uh, round four, uh, we're going to look at solo careers. Okay. Ooh, ripple. Um, yeah, solo careers. I think that uh, if John, Paul, George and Ringo, if, if you kind of, I know it's impossible to imagine, but if they'd never been in the Beatles, if they were four guys starting solo careers in 1970 without the expectation of the Beatles, I think only Paul's career would have gone the distance. And, you know, I think he would have had sort of a an Elton John type trajectory of a purple patch of albums in the 70s and then a long tail of albums that kind of slightly aren't quite as great, but a good showman and all that kind of stuff. So you're, uh, you're just describing Paul's solo career. Yeah, well, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to imagine myself not liking Paul. It's really hard. Um, but I don't think the other solo careers, I think if you look at just the solo careers, not the Beatles careers, uh, I think Paul, Paul's the winner, surely. It's 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 almost impossible to imagine. I think any of <laughs> any of the four of them having a solo career, if they weren't yeah. launching off the platform of the Beatles. Even, I mean, I, I, even I, this I, week, Ringo has gone into the charts at ninety nine with his new album, uh, "What's My Name," uh, and it has its charms. Ringo, right? His name's Ringo. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the only reason that album is has even gotten to ninety nine is because he's Ringo from the Beatles. Yes. And so even that uh, that that kind of star shine is still. And and you think Egypt Station? Uh, well, the number one album, Egypt yeah. Station, oh, number two in the UK. Yeah. Well, I, I think Egypt Station's a fine album. Good. Um, <laughs> Should I ring the bell for Egypt Station? All those um, in favour of Egypt Station? 
Yeah. Okay. There you go. Uh, okay. So you think the four of them? I think it's. I think it's very difficult to imagine uh, any of them having a solo career. Mm. You know, Paul. You know, what what would his career be? You know, in 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 the early seventies, he'd have been thirty. I mean, are you sort of saying, well, could he have had a solo career in sixty two, sixty three? No. Could in nineteen seventy? Elton John is probably a good comparison. That Paul was kind of you know, playing keyboards for some band and then struck out on his own as a, uh, you know, a, a singer songwriter, mm. probably, but the, you know, he delivers wildlife. He doesn't get on a second. He doesn't get another chance if he's, uh, <laughs> on his solo career. That's, uh, you yeah. know, that's, a, he that's doesn't a get a year to make red. Rose no, he Speedway. doesn't. He, no, no, he doesn't get a year to make red Rose speedway. So it, but, 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 but you kind of look at those albums at those no, no, times, like like roads and all those. Kind yeah. Of but guys. this is, this is what I'm saying. This is an impossible scenario to okay. imagine. Uh, so I, I, I don't accept the, I don't recognize the court on this one. Okay. So, but if your house was on fire, whose solo discography would you grab? George's it's easier to carry. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah, bring, cause, bring cause, the bell. You're only bring grabbing, the bell. You're only grabbing one of them. Uh, yeah. uh, you know what I mean. Yeah? No? No. Don't you think all things must pass as the heavy lifting yes. of George's solo? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think, I, 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 I think it, it does. Um, and again, tying back to, you know, every, everyone knows that, that a good portion of the songs that appear on All Things Must Pass date back as far as 1966. Mm. So isn't it a pity? Um, uh, Art of Dying uh, were, were written in 1966. And, you know, these are fantastic songs that the Beatles, nah, yeah. we're, we're going to pass on those. All yeah. Things Must Pass, no, don't, don't care for that. They, you know, one of the most dispiriting uh, things in listening to the Let It Be outtakes, the get back sessions, yep. is is the disinterest whenever George produces All Things Must Pass. And yeah, I, when you listen to the All Things Must Pass bootlegs, like for, just for them to be floating away and to not yeah. nail it is so frustrating. But you know, you, you, Lennon, Lennon in particular is, is just absolutely not interested. But is, is but, some but, of that but, force so you, of personality though? Like I, George should have just, you know... He always, but I think I, th I think it is that I think he he in, in the uh, the the business tape from September 1969, which has got a lot of press recently. George is actually saying, well, you know, yeah, I've had these songs for ages, but you know, if if people aren't interested, I'm just not going to push mm. for this. So, but I I agree. All things must pass. Does the heavy lifting on George's career? And I'd I, even say a third of all things must pass is not listened to regularly. It is in my house. Is it? Okay. But everyone like Apple Jam? No? Okay. So so all things must pass, I think it for is genuinely all sort of partisan uh, mm. feeling apart. I think all things must pass is probably the best uh Beatles solo album. I it think, is an extraordinary album. I, I, I think it we I mentioned this previously that I think it's a very conscious stepping away from the Beatles. So I, I think Paul, John Ringo, they're all happy in those early 70s days to trade musically on the legacy of the Beatles. George is striking out on his own, not only by producing this expensively packaged uh, disc, but also the sound is, is moving away from the Beatles. What happens then is the follow-up the next year doesn't happen because he spends the entire year or the bulk of the year and, and the beginning of of, of uh, seventy two is is the concert for Bangladesh, mm. which is something we maybe come on to as well. So, but but undoubtedly that halts 
his career. It breaks the momentum. And then when Living in the Material World comes along in, in 1973, it's a sort of all things must pass light. Mm. But the single, uh, Give, me, give love. me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth, that that's a number one single, uh, both sides of the Atlantic. Then the follow-up single is Don't Wait, Make Me, don't make me wait too long, mm -hmm. which George stops mm -hmm. because someone said to him, it's quite beatly. Right. So, he, so he stops that. So I think... But he's shooting himself in the foot. This goes back to point one where he's being anti-Beatles for the sake of being anti-Beatles. Well, I don't know. I think I genuinely think that by the time he gets All Things Must Pass out of his system, by the time he gets uh, the concert for Bangladesh. I think George's ambition is almost sort of satisfied at that point. Mm. You know, you don't get any sense in his subsequent career that he's chasing a hit single, that he's, uh, you know, he's not out there touring, he's yeah. not uh, writing uh, singles in between albums, he's not chasing chart success, he's not chasing money, he's not doing all the things that... that Paul is doing at that point, trying to reestablish a band. George realizes, I think, he's he's never going to be anything but Beatle George. He doesn't want to be Beatle George. He doesn't mm. want to be in another band. Paul never accepts that he he can't be in a band. Yeah. You know, But why is he putting out those records in the late 70s? Like well, he, he is trying, like he wouldn't have, you know, he eventually gets a massive hit record. In, in 87. In 87. Yeah, I think, but but he sort of after uh, Lennon's death, there is a sort of complete pause until mm. until 87 when he, he comes back. But then having got that... Yeah, he doesn't capitalize on that He doesn't capitalize really on at that at all. Whereas I think if, if there was Paul... Apart from the Wilburys. Yeah, but if, if Paul was suddenly doing... You know, Paul would be saying, well, this is a springboard. We're going to organize an American tour. We're going to, we're going to have a, a tie-in yeah, yeah. concert video. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Paul has that ambition. 87 that, was the year Paul needed to have a yeah. Got My Mind Set on You type yes. smash. Well, I think I said to you before, I would take Got My Mind Set on You over Spies Like Us. Um, It's a close call. Is this in the house on fire scenario? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I genuinely think George is interested in other things. So music, yeah. music, I think, very rapidly becomes a kind of a side project. Uh, you know, he's out there going to Grand Prix and, and for, hanging out with Formula One. Then uh, Life of Brian, Handmade mm. Films, that comes along. What really gets him back in the mid-80s is Carl Perkins phoning him up and saying, I'm, I'm doing this show. So he goes along to that. And that kind of, uh, you know, he's back in touch with Clapton. Uh, Dave Edmonds is there. Yeah. That's uh, so suddenly... That's the Jeff Lynne connection. That's the Jeff Lynne connection. It's the <laughs> one big mistake that George made was... <laughs> but I genuinely think, Jeff, yeah, and, well. and I kind of, I, ad, I kind of admire that. I, I admire that that he he satisfied his ambitions as a musician, and he recognized. So that. you would think that George got the solo career he wanted. Yeah, mm. I think so. Do you think Paul is happy with his solo career? No, but I think I think it's an, I, <laughs> why because he hasn't had a massive hit. In yeah, the last I think years. I think I think it's 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 like Elton John. Mm -hmm. You know, so Elton John still gets singles delivered to his house every week. He reads the charts. He, yeah. he knows what where his record is placed in Iceland, uh, you know, on a particular day. He's still chasing that. Thing. And I think McCartney has that as well. And that's perfectly laudable. In But but he's got to realize he's not going to have a number one single. 
No, not Ever. with your attitude, Stephen. <laughs> I know. But you, you know what I mean? I yeah, think it's And, and uh, you know, I hesitate to say that it, it, there's something slightly unbecoming about that, but there's something slightly unbecoming <laughs> about that. Well, I think there's also something slightly charming about it. There's something slightly charming that he believes in the power of a, you know, a, a pop song that reaches... Charming. A, yeah. You pronounce it, it's pronounced deluded. <laughs> <laughs> there's something uh, quaint. Uh, about him wanting to still write the ultimate pop song, whether it's even something like, uh, you know, Dance Tonight, which is kind of another one yeah. of those songs that kind of goes into the ether and you kind of think you've heard it before, but you haven't heard it before. And he just, you know, he's, he, he's putting it out there. I think it's, you know, in terms of trying to find a thread back to the Beatles, you can say, well, you know, he he he, he believes in kind of the community of a pop song. Yeah. And I think the, the thing about Paul's work as a Beatle or as a solo artist is uh, his work is the the greatness of his work is dependent on it being popular like he really appreciates the uh, audience uh, being added into his work whereas paul or george was often quite insular in some of his yes. stuff in particular oh i think i think that's right i think i think paul uh, um uh, needs a, needs an audience mm. i mean he needs that approval whereas i don't i don't think george okay. needed that um yeah. Okay. Well, then, in terms of solo careers, if you had to uh, pick a favorite solo career, all those in favor of George say George. All those in favour of Paul say Paul. Oh. Now, in this scenario, if you choose Paul, you can't hear All Things Must Pass ever again. Okay? Paul. Okay. As you see, we still have it. So all those in favour of George say George. George. Uh, and all those in favour of Paul say Paul. Paul. Oh, man. Paul, I think. Is that, think, is that I, a draw? Is that I, equal? Is I, that... I, I think they're just... I think, I think they're just lighter. <laughs> they're, not, they're not more numerous. Uh, just, uh... Uh, okay. Uh, next one, um, second last category is wider cultural impact and slash legacy. Uh, and I suppose legacy, you know, is it's, it's different for George, uh, sadly, because he passed away in two, 2001. Um, but uh, broadly speaking, I guess... Paul's wider cultural legacy or impact is still quite tethered to the Beatles. Yeah, and Mullet Kintar. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas George's is probably different. I think so. In what way, Stephen? I know this is... Okay. Great. Well, we, talk, we, 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 we talked about 1967. Mm. And uh, that's really when, when, when the George, I think, for, for a brief period, maybe sort of 12, 14 months... Um, took on a, a, a sort of a, not a leadership role, but a sort of a guiding role uh, with the band in terms of Indian music, Indian philosophy. This this came out of just picking up a, a you know, a sitar at the, on the set of Help. But he goes along to um, a lecture by Maharishi. So he then gets into meditation. So then the rest of the band get into meditation. And you get all of the publicity attendant upon, yeah, the Beatles are going to, 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 to hang out with this guy. There must be something. Mm -hmm. um, you look at where Transcendental Meditation sat in 1966, where it sat in 1968, and where it is today. today yeah. so, it's down the road in Abbey Street. In Abbey Street. Mm. So you, 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 look at, you, you, you look at outside the musical context. So let's look at that first of all. So in terms of cultural impact, all of those sort of Eastern influences and whether that's meditation or whether that's yoga or whether that's vegetarianism, all of those things kind of start and are promoted really by the Beatles in mm. 1967. You have the Beach Boys on board, uh, Donovan, he doesn't like to talk about it, but he, 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 <laughs> he, uh, 
he gets on board with that and it really ripples out from that because the, 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 the Beatles are the cultural leaders and for a time in, in 1967, George is, is, is guiding the Beatles. He is the first one to suddenly decide acid isn't the way mm. to, to enlightenment. So he decided, that's pretty early on in 67. So he's, he's, he's off, he goes to San Francisco, he kind of looks and thinks these, these, this isn't, this isn't the beautiful people. These are kind of, you know, sad drug mm. addicts. And so he, he backs away from that. John is, is, you know, ingesting acid for breakfast. Uh, Paul takes it twice and gives a press conference about it <laughs> to make himself seem more interesting than he actually was. He's just cut into the chase. But but seriously, all of those kind of cultural uh, influences that ripple down today, and whether that extends to, you know, George gets the Harry Krishnas in the charts. I mean, yeah. they have a top two, top ten UK singles. Yes. Um, then... He he decides uh, he he gets uh, prevailed upon by Ravi Shankar to um, uh, get involved in the concert for Bangladesh, mm. and uh, if if nothing else in terms of, of of the actual benefit and the cash and the money and the awareness that is raised, you suddenly have a number one uh, album which contains an entire side of Indian classical music. Mm. It's it's in everyone's home. And again, this builds on the fact that when he is asked in 1967, and I made a, a, a joke about this earlier, so he and Paul McCartney are both asked to do soundtracks. Um, Paul writes a little three-minute me uh, melody for Love in the Open Air, which George Martin then works up into an entire score, and Paul gets the credit for mm. an, uh, you know, a, a full score. George does Wonderwall. So yeah. he immediately goes off. He, he gets Eric Clapton. He gets Peter Tork. He gets uh, the Remo Five. He gets all these people involved. He writes a score. And Indian music is, is involved. So this is, this is the beginning of world music. Mm. Um, he follows that through uh, with, with producing records by Ravi Shankar. He uh, does that tour in 74 um, where he, he has Ravi Shankar. He's got Billy Preston. We, again, we were talking before, this is a kind of little template for the Graceland, mm. you know, where you, you, you get these multicultural uh, 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 roadshow. Um, and I think all of that yeah. is, is just that ripples out uh, culturally. And that's even before we kind of get on to things like films. And, but I'll, I'll give you a well, chance. <laughs> what, did, what has Paul done? Well, he, uh, he really he made... Formed, he, he formed that school in Liverpool. He, yeah, he did. I was, I was going to say, he really worked wonders for Rupert the Bear. Yeah. Uh, but he also, well, I suppose that if, if uh, we, we'll come back to the Lipiscoe in a sec. I mean, you're right. I think in 2019, there are certain things we take for granted, like things like yoga classes and granola. Yeah. I all go back to the late 60s. And, you know, I think George was at the forefront of some of that stuff, uh, as well as these other things in the ether at that time, like the, you know, Earthrise picture and the Whole Foods catalog. And there was kind of a certain cultural... I don't want to say business side that came out of the hippie evolution, but there was a couple, a lot of ideas that they they, they came out of. I know uh, we were talking once about that that uh, in that book um, about the Beatles and the history of drug culture. But when uh, riding know, so high, riding so high, when they started, uh, they 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 had a party one day, and George meets Derek Taylor, and he gives him a big hug, and they were like, "Well, people didn't hug, so the Beatles invented hugs." Invented hugging. Uh, so there's there's a certain kind of cultural change that you know uh, that's quite normal now. Well. Yeah, I, listen. I think uh, I think you're right. I don't think Paul. Uh, I, I hope people are taking note of how many times you're saying you're right. Uh, Paul certainly didn't have the same interest in thinking outside of you know 
classic I, I, no, song structures or Tim no, Alley song structures. No. And I, th- I think this is, this is, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a different career path. Yeah. And Paul, he's very driven and he's driven by that ambition to have the next hit single. To, he, he needs that kind of uh, uh, approval. Well, there's a ripple effect from a song like My Sweet Lord. And I, I yeah. also imagine yes. that I don't really can think of anything similar in Paul's solo. Well, you've got Freedom and the Concert <laughs> for New York. <laughs> and every, yeah. everyone should go to YouTube and, and, and look at that the little, clip, the little clip of him explaining to Eric Clapton that he's written a new song. I recommend that. To the, song, but, the, the song Freedom is better if you replace it with the word Sweden. Sweden, okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so but in terms of philanthropy, uh, Paul has, I think, his greatest gift is probably the Lippa School in yeah. terms of his cultural impact. And I think that's a very, it's very emblematic of the man because it's totally pragmatic. And about Paul. And useful. Well... I, I think it's. I think it is somewhere generally where he can specifically give his skill set. It's his old school. He's able. He's. It's his old school, so he knows the area. He's got lots of money. He's in showbiz, so he can make some calls. Did you ever see the handwritten letter he sent to Prince? Yes. That's a. I'm trying to put that up on Twitter. He wrote a handwritten letter to Prince uh, from Soho Square to Paul, asking him for money for for Lippa. Um, and so I think when but he why when did why did he need to ask Prince for money? He could write the check. Yes, but he can. You know, so, when, <laughs> so, so we two, two, two things. Whenever the concert for Bangladesh, yeah, uh, there was an issue with the lawyers. Not George's fault. It was the lawyers. Um, they didn't set they didn't set the charity up correctly. So suddenly there was a tax bill. Yes, um, of a million pounds mm-hmm. uh, that that was going to come directly out. The money was going to come out of uh, the funds that were going to uh, to Bangladesh. So George writes a check yeah. out of his own pocket for a million pounds. Yeah, uh, he didn't write a letter to Prince. He didn't write a letter to Prince. So no, so but, you, but he did so, do so, charity so you, concerts. I guess yeah. for one thing, and he he funded an awful lot of things in the background. So the whole the whole concert for Bangladesh mm. setup really leads directly to is the template. Yeah. For Live Aid. Yeah. And Geldof gets in touch with with uh, George. George to, to discuss yeah. the pitfalls of this. And also, uh, and I can't decide if this is a story against George or against Paul. He he says to George, you know, we're going to do this. And yeah. Paul, quite like you, Paul's going to play Let It Be. And he'd quite like you to come and play yeah. on that. And George says, well, he didn't want me to play on it in 1970. <laughs> so why, why, why would I... Why would I play on it now? So, but the whole sort of concept of rock stars doing something, and interestingly, Lennon picks up on this, and he does the 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 one to one concert yes, in, yeah. in New York. So and suddenly, the, in and, and Campuch- this, this suddenly becomes a be, thing. Be, becomes a thing. Um, it's. Inter- I mean, I think, and we haven't even touched upon George's legacy as a movie producer. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think I know some, it's hard to top. Give my regards to Broad Street, but it is. It's uh, what I'm film, but uh, or nuns on the run. Yeah. Um, but is I, I guess the thing is, you could probably say, is Paul's legacy the same as the Beatles' legacy, and is George's legacy perhaps different to the Beatles' legacy? I I think that's absolutely where I would be coming from. Paul's mm. legacy is is inextricably linked to to the Beatles. I think George's legacy less so. Okay, so in terms of legacy and wider cultural impact, all those in favour of George say George. George. All those in favour of Paul say Paul. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> You're right.
so yeah, I think that's overwhelmingly uh, for George there. So we're going into the last and final discussion round, um, which is a bit of a tricky one, and we mightn't hang on it too long, but it's personal. Personal lives, personal existence, George and Paul. Um, you know, and, and how they... We, we have to bear in mind the age the age group of the audience there are here. children in the audience children here, so the we're audience. going to we're going to not say anything uh, untoward um here's a question that i've often pondered who are paul's friends like we we kind of know sorry that, that was my answer yeah <laughs> was but i find it interesting that uh we know george would have friends yeah and you know jackie stewart or eric idle or, or all the rest I've never really, as much as I love Paul and read a lot about him, I don't really have a sense of outside of his family. And my God, you know, he's a great family man. Uh, I, I don't have any sense of who his friends are. No, I think that, I, th- I think this is, this is, again, for me, this is integral to Paul's personality. He's, he's, it's all about Paul, really. Yeah. No, but seriously, if you, if, if, if you watch the uh, Material World documentary, one of the things that is, is, most striking about that is is the emotion with which people like Ray Cooper, yes, uh, Jackie Stewart, the emotion with which they talk about George and and his death and the effect that it had on the, on them, and the fact that as you say he has friends, genuine friends yeah. in in the world of movies, in the world of music, in the, the Formula One, you know he he, but I think he has a collaborative personality. Mm. Paul, I think doesn't i mean yeah. I, th- I i think completely different uh um uh, approach uh, that comes out in their work but i think it's it's a reflection of their personality paul could never do a traveling wilderness no i mean i think i think you know paul spent 1971 to 1979 trying to be in a band trying yeah. to recreate that sense of camaraderie of being in a little van traveling up and down the m1 yeah. Uh, you know, with wings, but he couldn't do it because he's Paul McCartney. And at the end of the day, he's calling the shots. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that's just to do with the fact that he's Beatle Paul. I think he is a man that needs to be in charge. Where George, I think, is, is he had the sense to realize that if he wanted to be in a band again, it was going to have to be in a band with the likes of Roy Orbison, Bob Dylan. It was going to have to be that type of band. It, it couldn't just be four musicians that would yeah. come along and Holly and, and Juba. Yeah, and yeah. it's not going to be like that. So I think there is that 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 sort of collaborative thing. And um, again, I, I think what I would take out of everything that Paul does is that Paul falls out with everyone in the end. <laughs> and in the end, yeah, the friends you. Lose are the friends you had. Don't, yeah. yeah, I mean, he, 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 he you know, I'm, 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 I'm tempted to say, uh, you know, I'm not a great one for what ifs, but it, but what if in in 1969 and 1970, if whenever Spectre had produced uh, or presented the finished tape of Let It Be, and he, you know, he 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 put strings on I Me Mine, and he he rearranged mm. that. If Paul had just kind of gone, well, it's not what I would have done, but, you know, I suppose let's move on to the next album. But he has a complete hissy fit. Mm. Um, to this day, you, you know, you can't mention Phil Spector. He gets a, walks out of award ceremonies if, if, you know. Yeah, but you know Phil Spector's in jail, right? Uh, yeah, I'd like, like so that. I'd, Paul, I'd, 
Paul's uh, yeah. radar was 100%. Well, then let's, let's, let's Klein. Okay. No, I'm, I'm not saying that Klein, Klein was a saint or Klein was a good guy, but he was, he was signed to a management contract. So it's fundamentally different from what he's done with the Stones. He's, he's signed up to a management contract. And the big point of contention for Paul is he shouldn't be getting 20%. He should be getting 10%. We're the Beatles. He should be getting 10%. Well, he was getting 20% of the increased uh, income. So what would the worst case scenario have been if Paul had just said, okay, we'll sign up with Klein. Mm. Uh, the, the contract came to an end in 1973. John, George, Ringo realized by that stage, well, you know, Klein's no saint, but John never actually fell out with them. He's still, in, you know, in touch with them after that. So worst case scenario, they have Klein bringing them in lots of money and uh, they don't renew his contract in 1973. But it gets complete because it's not about Klein. It's not about Spectre. For me, it's about control. Well, there's a bit of that. I mean, but I think I know you're right in saying Klein was just ring a the management bell. contract. <laughs> but I, I think you see how the 60s stone catalogue is managed now and you just worry that he would have finagled his way maybe, in, that maybe he so. could have undermined Maybe that so. I'm not, I'm not arguing that Klein was a saint. I'm not arguing. I'm just saying it, it was an overreaction and I think a lot of it is to do with this idea that, you know, you know maybe he's motivated by, by the best of intentions that, you know, and I, back to your original uh, point, he, he was the one that was most in love with the Beatles. I mean, he had, mm. and to that extent, he had the most to lose, I suppose. But it's the inability to compromise. Yeah. And I think that rolls out into, you, you, you can't really name people that Paul has a close friendship with. You know, George, yeah. George is friendly with Eric Clapton that married his wife. Yeah. You know. Well, but you, okay, that leads us into the second part of personal lives, which is family lives. And Mike, I, I don't know if anyone saw, it was repeated recently, the Eric Clapton Life in 12 Bars documentary. And you, you think, oh my God, Patty Boyd got a raw deal. You know, she that did. is just, it's just a heartbreaking kind of mess. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, almost put, you know, biographically, it's a bit of a joke. Oh, he's my husband-in-law. Haha, I'm glad he, she didn't marry some jerk. But it's actually, a, it's actually kind of nasty in parts. Uh, well, actually, what he, what he says in that press conference about Clapton is that I'd rather she was with him than some other dope. Oh, other. Yeah. So I think, I think it's a little bit, but, uh, but I think it's, 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 it's testament to George's personality that he doesn't fall out with Clapton, mm. or at least not for long. He doesn't fall out with Paddy Boyd. There's some incredibly touching photographs of Paddy Boyd, you, you know, in the final years of, of George's life, coming to visit him mm. uh, at, at Friar Park. He seems, you know, we, we know about his relationship with, with Ringo's wife, mm -hmm. but he and Ringo <laughs> are still uh, friends. So he, he, he seems to have this ability to stay friendly with people even when these emotional upheavals take place but I'm, being, old, I'm being tactful with, but the older uh, yes. <laughs> the older i get though the more i realize how kind of extraordinary the paul and linda thing was because i'm old enough to remember the grief that mm. was thrown their way and that was thrown her way and particularly in the early 90s tours you know the mic solo mic and ha 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 laughing at her i'm like oh my just, yeah. you know, really what's 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 the point of all of that? That, 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 that 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 i would have to say that that seems to be a seems to have been a very yeah, no, I, I mean, I, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 in terms of Linda and her musicianship, and I mean, again, I, I feel sorry for the position that, that she was put in. Mm. Um, you can argue that Paul shouldn't have put her in that position, but, um, uh, you know, if, if anyone hasn't heard it, I would recommend people go out, I think it's on Spotify, her solo, oh, yeah, Wild, Wild Prairie. Prairie. 
that's a great little list. You know, it's not yeah, earth shattering. It's not. It's not going to change the world. But. Well, I certainly think whenever I, and I know I've said this before, Seaside Woman on Red yeah. Rose Speedway. When that comes on, it's just a, yeah, it's, it's like a great song. I, I, I don't. You know, we 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 differ on Red Rose Speedway. I don't. I don't think that song should be on the album, but mm. I think it's a great song. <laughs> I have. I I bought it when it came out as a single. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so in terms of personal and family lives, all those in favour of George say George. George. All those in favour of Paul say Paul. Hmm. I think overall it's a draw. It has to be a draw. There's just one it? very loud person shouting for Paul. <laughs> um, when it comes down to it, do you have any closing statements on Paul versus George? Have I convinced you at all in uh, the direction you, of have you convinced me? Have you convinced me? Yeah, yeah. You, no. you've convinced me about um, George is all right, really, isn't he? Yeah, yeah I think that's yeah. fair yeah. enough to say. Yeah, Paul, I, I, I think they're completely different uh, personalities. Yeah. I... I kind of like George because he's the underdog. I think he's the kind of, you know, he got a raw deal. Uh, I also admire the way he was able to get past the Beatles yeah. and into that solo career. And also, we, you know, we didn't touch on things like handmade films and things like that. One of, one of the things that I really admire about George is his ability and his preparedness to, to work with other people, to help other people. So I had pages and pages of notes about <laughs> Apple and Apple being really John and Paul set Apple up. But if you look at the, the producer credits, um, this the, the whole thing about Apple helping other people and, and giving a creative outlet, and you have Billy Preston, Doris Troy, Derek and Lon Van Eaton, Badfinger, Ravi Shankar. These are, it was George was the one that, that took on to do that. Uh, he formed his own record label, Dark Horse. If if you haven't heard it, the, the first album by Splinter, mm. Cost of Fine Time is the single. That's virtually a George Harrison album. Mm. Um, you know, he's all over that album. Uh, it's this ability to collaborate and to encourage and facilitate other people being creative. Uh, Handmade is, is a good example of that. Now, Paul does that as well. You know, the, again, the, the album, I think you and I both agree, is the McGear album, which oh, was yes. re reissued recently. That's it's a superb thing. Superb thing, where mm. again, Paul is collaborating, but he's collaborating with his brother. And it's virtually a one-off exercise. I think they're completely different. George headed off in one direction, Paul mm. in the other. And I think that split happened in and around 1966. Well, George famously said, oh, you know, we gave our nervous systems. And I don't think any of us can imagine, you know, what it would have been like to have been one of the four of them and how you'd respond to it in any mm. given way. And, you know, I think I think George was generous with his time. I think you're right, the McGear album is an extraordinary thing. It does give you an insight. I wish yeah. there'd been a McGear album every seven or eight years. Yes. Could just get... Uh, it's an outlet for Paul. If, yeah, if, if, it's a if, total if, outlet if, for if Paul. If people listening too. haven't heard it, you, you should go it, on here. It's great. Um, it's better than, better than Wings. But I think in Paul's defense, <laughs> I think in Paul's defense, you know, well, like. he has, uh, he has always strained to try and bring joy and do it as graciously as possible. And it's a heavy burden to wear. And, you know, he's not... Uh, we were also chatting earlier on about how Van Morrison does interviews. And <laughs> he has never played that card, no. particularly. And even if you look at something like the James Corden carpool karaoke, there's I've a bit never, where he's walking I've through the streets. I've never watched it. Oh, you're going to have to watch it. Watched it. There's a bit where he's walking through the streets and people are like basically touching the hem of his garment. And he's just he just wears it well. And I think... We yeah. take it for granted how difficult it must be to live a life like that. And I think he has done that quite well. Yeah, I think so. Um, so look, 
you know, there can't be a winner in Paul versus George, can they? They were um, they were in the Beatles. Yeah, that's the whole point that we'd be out of a job if we yeah. started uh, shooting them down. So. Uh, so uh, we love we love them both for a live episode. We would like to thank everybody for coming along. Give yourselves all a big round of applause. <coughs> and as per usual, we remain available in the uh, usual spots on Twitter, at BeatlesPod, on Facebook. Uh, uh, just look for the Nothing Is Real group on Facebook and join us there. And if you feel inclined to leave any nice reviews where you get your podcasts, that'll be much appreciated. Uh, but for now, this is Nothing Is Real. My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we will see you all the next time. Thank you very much. Thank you. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 